Welcome to Good News Church. We are so glad you've chosen to worship with us this morning. It's great having you here today. And uh, in uh, Pastor Andy's absence, it's my honor to uh, speak and bring God's word to you this, this morning. Um, my wife and my, my, my family and I have been a part of Good News uh, since 2010. Um, we uh, have two, two sons who are in college and um, we uh, have been privileged to serve in various ministries. If you, if you have young children, uh, you likely see my wife in the nursery. Uh, she loves the little ones and uh, is there uh, most weeks. Um, and uh, I serve with our LAMP class and uh, in some other capacities. But uh, our, we're, we're looking forward to having our two sons home uh, from college uh, here in just a few days for, for Thanksgiving. I know many of you have children or grandchildren, family coming in here uh, this week. Uh, what a very special time. But uh, uh, we, we are honored this morning to uh, bring God's Word. You, you may have heard the story of uh, two elderly ladies who were headed to the grocery store. Millie was driving. She's uh, headed uh, down, down the road and uh, comes to an intersection, red light. Millie doesn't stop, goes right through the intersection. Her friend uh, beside her thought, that was odd, but uh, decides not to say anything. They continue down, down the road, little ways uh, down the road, another intersection. The light is red. Millie doesn't slow down, doesn't tap her brakes, does not in any way uh, give any indication that she sees the light straight through it. Her friend now is very, very nervous, and she's thinking, oh my, uh, this, this isn't good, but maybe I missed something. Maybe, maybe I didn't see the light correctly, so even though she started to say something, she didn't. They come to a third intersection. The light is as red as red can be. Millie doesn't slow down, zoom right through the intersection her friend thought, uh, thought, I've got to say something now. So she speaks up and says, Millie, do you know that you've just run three red lights in a row? You're going to get us killed. Millie says, oh my, am I driving? <laughs> the point is that sometimes we tend to become oblivious to the familiar. Things that we are a part of or attend or participate in, uh, often we, um, we can uh, put ourselves in autopilot and just kind of go through the motions. We certainly don't want to do that this morning. We've come to worship the living God. We've come to his table this morning. We want to observe the significance this morning of what it means and how it impacts our lives. Sometimes we take meals for granted. We often uh, get together as families around the table, and we'll look forward to that this week a little later, until we suddenly miss a close loved one who is no longer with us this year, who may have been with us last year. July 24th, 1993, our family was on vacation at the beach, and uh, that morning for breakfast, we went out uh, to a little restaurant in Curie Beach, North Carolina, where we, we were vac vacationing. 
we enjoyed a, a nice breakfast together. Uh, my mom, dad, my brother, myself around the table, and then uh, afterward we took a short walk. Little did I know that that would be the last meal that I would enjoy with my dad. That afternoon, he died from a massive heart attack. And I often think back on that day, that morning, and especially that meal, and what I wouldn't give to be able to go back just for a few moments and be again around that table with him. Those are precious and special times. And this Thanksgiving, let's not take that for granted. Today in Mark's gospel, we're going to see that there is another Last Supper that takes place. But it's a supper that is not just something that's morbid and gloomy. No, it's a, it's a supper of joy, a supper of victory. It's a supper where Jesus is inviting us. Jesus invites us to dinner. We read about the Last Supper where Jesus shares with his disciples uh, this meal just before his death. And it's a meal like no other meal. And I say that because at this meal, we bring nothing. He brings everything. I assume that most of you are going to get together with family and friends just a few days for Thanksgiving. And we love the, the camaraderie and uh, seeing people that we may not see very many times a year. We, we uh, enjoy the fellowship. But a highlight is when we sit down for the Thanksgiving meal. Man, I don't know about you, but I am so looking forward to that delicious turkey and ham and, uh, and dressing and the uh, put, put, potatoes, casseroles, salads, all the special dishes. And then the desserts. Oh, the pumpkin pie, chocolate cake, the brownies, the chocolate pie. Did I say chocolate? <laughs> we look forward to the delicious food that, that we share together and often different family members bring their favorite dish or they bring a dish to the meal to share with everyone else. But the meal this morning that we're going to look at, again, we can bring nothing. He brings everything. All, the only thing we can bring is a humble, thankful, receptive, believing heart. Let's pray. This morning, Father, we are so thankful for every good and perfect gift that comes from above. This Thanksgiving season, we have so much to be thankful for. Most of all, we give thanks for Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who has saved and redeemed us and purchased us with his very blood. I pray this morning that we would not let this familiar story, this familiar occasion that brings us together, uh, lull us into being dull, but that you would awaken our souls and help us to fall deeper in love with you because of who you are and what you have done. We commit this hour to you and ask your blessing upon your word today. Speak to our hearts. May we leave different than we've come here today. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 14. We've been going through the book of Mark this year, the year of hope. And today we're in Mark 14, beginning with verse 12. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow there on the screen. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, this is the Word of God. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? This feast, unleavened bread, it occurs during the first month of the Jewish year, Nisan. It's a feast that symbolizes something very special. It symbolizes the rescue of the nation of Israel and the forgiveness of sin by God. The, the Passover meal is observed on the very first day of this Feast of Unleavened Bread, it occurs on Nisan the 14th, the 14th day of the month. I wish we had time to unpack all the richness and all the history that is associated with the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. We could spend several weeks just unpacking and talking about this and, and going back into the Old Testament and see the connections there. But at least, let me say this morning, that we should remember that Passover is a symbolizing of the Old Testament event where the death angel sent by God in the tenth plague. You remember back in Exodus, there were ten plagues that God sent upon the land of Egypt to help deliver his people out of Egypt. That last plague, number ten, he sends the death angel. He tells Moses and the people of Israel, I will spare the firstborn in your households if you will apply the blood of an innocent lamb to the doorpost of your houses. If I see the blood applied to the doorpost, then that death angel will pass over your house, your home, and no one will die. If I do not see the blood, the firstborn, every firstborn in that household will die. Most of the Israelites believed God and applied the blood to the doorpost. And that night when the death angel came through the land of Egypt, the Israelites were spared. The Egyptians were not. There was many, many deaths, thousands of deaths throughout the land. And it was ultimately the, the event that uh, calls Pharaoh to say, hey, get out of here. I, you, you, you can leave. Uh, it, Moses and Aaron had been uh, asking for that for many, for, for many days. But this is a reminder that the people of Israel did nothing to rescue themselves. They could do nothing. They were in bondage. They were in slavery. They were being ruled by Pharaoh. God did everything in delivering them from bondage and taking them to a promised land. This meal that they are observing, Jesus and his disciples, 
is also pointing to the fact that soon, within hours, Jesus, the true Passover Lamb of God, would do everything necessary to rescue His chosen people, including you and me. And since the Passover was to be eaten within the walls of Jerusalem, the disciples asked Jesus, where do you want us to go and make preparation? Let's pick up now with verse 13. And he sent two of his disciples, and we know from Luke's account, this is Peter and John. He sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. Isn't it interesting the specific number of details that Jesus gives Peter and John to direct them to the exact location where he and his disciples will share the Passover meal. Some very specific details. It begins with them meeting a man carrying a jar of water. Now, this in itself would stick out like a sore thumb. Why? Because in this culture, it was the women who carried the water. Gender roles in this culture were very specific, and very seldom did they uh, cross over. So to see a man carrying a jar of water was highly unusual, and it was a big sign for Peter and John, hey, uh, this, is, this, is the, this is the guy. Women uh, uh, were, were the ones that were delegated to, to that end, and of course when Peter and John follow the man, they come to the house, they talk to the master, they find an upper room that is already furnished and ready. You think that's coincidence? No. Jesus knew exactly where to send them and the preparation that had already been made. Let's look now at uh, verse, uh, verses 17 through, through 21. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after the other, Is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes it is, as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for that man if he had never been born. Jesus and the disciples now have gathered in the upper room. They're around the table and Jesus makes a shocking statement. Here they're, they're thinking about Passover, and in the course of, of all the observances and the events, Jesus says, one of you will betray me. You can tell by their response, they have no idea who it is. They're not saying, oh, I, I bet it's that shady character Judas. None of them say that. 
They absolutely have no clue who it is. That's why they're asking, Lord, is it me? I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's a very perplexing and, and, um, and challenging statement that, that Christ makes. You see, not only did Jesus know the heart of Judas, he also knew the scriptures. In Psalm 41, verse 9, the psalmist says, Even my close friend, whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And can you imagine how Judas felt when Jesus looked at him? Some of you this morning have been betrayed. Maybe it was by a former spouse. Maybe by a boss. Maybe by another friend or family member that you trusted. And something happened and it was like a dagger to your heart. I've, I've been there. It's one of the most devastating feelings that we as humans can possibly experience. And yet here at the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus is experienced betrayal. Isn't it interesting that Judas, Judas saw all the amazing supernatural miracles and heard all the divine teachings of Jesus, just like the other 11 disciples. And yet he remained unconverted. The same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. The same gospel that softens and saves some hardens and condemns others. Friend, what about you? Today you're hearing that Jesus invites you to dinner. This invitation to dine with him, it really begins with the realization that we are, are poor and destitute and naked, that we are dead in our trespasses and sin, that we have nothing to offer, that in spite of our our being an enemy of his and our betraying him over and over and over again, he still loves us. That The bad news is that we have betrayed him. The good news is that he died on the cross as the perfect lamb of God to take away your sins and my sins. And if you come to him by faith and receive him as your personal Lord and Savior, a spiritual feast awaits you. Eternal life awaits you. You can do that this very moment, right where you're, sit you're sitting. Simply invite Christ into your life. Dine with Him. He says, I am the bread of life. And I give living water. If you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. Won't you do that today? That's our action step. This, our action step today is accept the invitation. Jesus invites us to dinner. What do we do with that invitation? We accept it. We run to him. 
Let's look at this invitation to the most celebrated meal in history, beginning with verse 22 of Mark 14. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now in the upper room, Jesus celebrates Passover with his disciples. It is the Old Testament gospel meal, meaning that it's a, commem- a commemoration, a looking back at God's physical salvation, God's physical deliverance of the nation of Israel from Egypt and from bondage. It's looking back and observing that and praising God for what he's done in Israel's past. But the Old Testament gospel meal also was looking ahead to a Messiah that would come. The prophets over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament foretold of a coming Messiah. Passover was pointing to the one who would come, the one who would be king of the Jews, who would lead them in victory. Jesus now turns the meaning of Passover to mean something different and to mean something even more important. He takes the Old Testament gospel and now institutes the New Testament gospel by pointing us also backward and forward. He says, this bread is my body broken for you. This cup is my blood, the blood of the covenant, poured out for many. You know, this this phrase, blood of the covenant, is an exact quotation from Exodus 24, verse 8. We don't have time to, to delve into that, but it recalls the biblical covenants were sealed in blood. Meaning what? Meaning that this symbolizes the lethal consequences of anyone who breaks the covenant. The covenants were sealed in blood. Whose blood is about to be shed on the cross to seal the covenant for us a few hours later? The bread points back to what Christ has done on Calvary's cross. And everyone who runs to the fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins lose all their guilty stains. That's what this morning as we come to the table, as we dine with him, as Jesus invites us to dinner, as we accept the invitation, the joy is we look back and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for rescuing me. 
Thank you for what you have done. But also, it's not only looking back, it's looking forward. The Lord's Supper points us ahead to the great marriage feast, the great marriage supper of the Lamb that's coming to the, to the new earth when Christ returns. Jesus says he'll drink of the fruit of the vine again with us in the coming kingdom. Don't you want to be there? I do. I look so forward to that. It's our victory in Christ. It's what He is accomplishing. We rejoice in Him. Friend, Jesus does invite us to dinner today. And when we accept the invitation, it changes our lives in three ways. And in particular, it helps us to grow in three loves. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, it helps us to fall deeper in love with the one who made the great exchange with us. We love the one who made the great exchange with us. Some of you are asking, what is the great exchange? The great exchange is where we in our sin and our guilt and our rebellion, being enemies of God, betraying our Lord. He takes all of that upon himself and forgives us. And in its place, he clothes us with his robe of righteousness. So this morning, as you come to the table, as I come to the table, we're not worthy in ourselves. But when God the Father looks at you this morning, he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see any of your sin. He sees the glory of His Son. Shouldn't we fall deeper in love with the One who's done that for us, who's rescued us for all eternity? The second love you'll grow in is in your love for one another. John's Gospel gives us a much fuller detailed event of what happened and what went on and the conversations that occurred in the upper room during this, this occasion. In John's gospel, chapter 14 or chapter 13, one of the conversations around the table that Jesus uh, has with his disciples is this, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you give more money to the church, if you read your Bible every day, if you share your faith every week, if, no, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if what? You love one another. The Lord's table helps us and strengthens us. The sacrament strengthens us spiritually and it enables us by the power of the Holy Spirit that is within us, it enables us to love God to a greater degree, to love others, our brothers and sisters. When we say love one another in this context, it's the family of God, other believers. Sometimes that's a challenge. Sometimes we get on each other's nerves or we can aggravate one another, but yet 
we can overcome all of that and love one another to a greater degree. And this meal shows us how to do that. A third way and a third love that we grow in is in our love for the lost. This is a family meal. It's a meal for believers as we come to the Lord's table. We rejoice that we have been made a part of His family. But think about those who are not in the family of God. Your next door neighbor, your boss at work, a coworker, a classmate at school. Many around us do not know and do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Doesn't that break your heart that they're not yet in the family of God? That they do not know Him? That God's salvation is not a part of their lives? That they are still under wrath and condemnation? Think of the gospel conversations, though, that we can have this week. People like to talk about their weekends, don't they? What'd you do this weekend? Oh, I, I did chores around the house. Oh, I, I, I went to and played golf or whatever. We love to talk about our weekends. In a day or two, someone may ask you, what did you do this weekend? And you can say, you'll never believe who invited me to dinner. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how amazed we are that you would love sinners like us. And the fact that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You have rescued us from a kingdom of darkness and brought us into a kingdom of light. As we come to your table this morning, may our hearts overflow with thanksgiving, with gratitude to, who, to you for who you are and for what you have done and will do. We look backward at what you've accomplished. We look forward to eating with you again in your kingdom. Thank you for the hors d'oeuvres that we have this morning that remind us of your great sacrifice and all that we have in you. We give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.